You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everybody, once again. A lot of ways we feel like we could just pack up and go home after that. It's, pretty, it's, it's kind of downhill from the baptism, so I'm just going to go ahead and let you know. But... Now, I'm looking forward to our time together as we continue our Advent uh, series that we're in. So we're doing a four-part series we're calling Advent Conspiracy. And again, as we celebrate Advent, which is the time that we set aside leading up to Christmas to, to remember the, the coming of Jesus, that he came and that he's coming again and that we're celebrating that. And so we're in this series uh, in, which, in which we're really asking one really big question. And that big question is this. We talked about it last week, but here it is again. It's, it's what if we let... What we're celebrating at Christmas determine how we celebrate Christmas. What if we let what we're celebrating at Christmas actually determine how we celebrate Christmas? Now, uh, I, let me just say from the get-go here that if you're not a Christian or you're not sure who Jesus is or if you're not ready to trust him or follow him, then this question's not going to be as applicable to you because I'm specifically asking Christians, what if you know, we let what we're celebrating at Christmas, the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, uh, determine how we celebrate Christmas? But here's, here's the thing, I think, is even though it might not be as applicable to you, I think it, it might be interesting to you because my guess is you've noticed that the people who celebrate Christmas as the birth of Jesus and those who celebrate Christmas completely absent of Jesus all seem to celebrate Christmas the exact same way, don't they? I mean, some Christians, they, they, come to, they come to church on Sundays, but don't they normally do that anyways? Everyone else, when it comes to Christmas, you think Christmas trees, you think Christmas lights, you think buying presents, giving presents, eating big meals, gathering with family or friends. I mean, it kind of looks exactly the same, doesn't it? And perhaps you've noticed that and you felt like, man, that's a little bit weird, right? And if that's your observation, I, I would say that's quite understandable. See, it seems like, right, that those who believe that Christmas is the celebration of God coming to be with us perhaps should celebrate Christmas at least a little bit different than how everybody else would celebrate Christmas. Like, again, come back to the question, what if... What if we let what we, what we are celebrating at Christmas determine how we celebrate Christmas instead of you know, letting uh, just simply traditions determine how we celebrate Christmas? Though so I love traditions, not against traditions, but should they really be the determining factor of how we celebrate Christmas? Or even more importantly, instead of letting the rampant consumerism of this time of year to determine how we celebrate Christmas, right? I mean, that just seems, I think we all feel that sense of like, is, is rampant consumerism really the best way to celebrate the coming of Christ? No, right? We would notice that, but yet we, we engage in that every year. What if we did something different? What if we let what we're actually celebrating at Christmas determine how we celebrate Christmas? What, what would change? This morning, I'm going to apply that question specifically to the topic of giving presents as a way to celebrate Christmas. Now, I want to state from the start, I'm all for the practice of giving presents. In fact, if you want to give me a present, 
this Christmas. I'm not going to turn it down. I like cherry pies. I like vinyl records. I could get you, know, I could get you a list. No, 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 seriously. I'm really not against at all the, the practice of giving presents as a way to celebrate Christmas. It's actually a very fitting way to celebrate Christmas because if you think about it, most famous verse in the whole Bible, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Absolutely. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas is that God, the Father, gave God the Son. He came. He came as a gift to us. And so it would make sense that one of the ways we would celebrate Christmas is that we would give gifts, remembering that God gave the gift of Jesus to us. However, here's the thing, and this is where I think maybe things could get a little sideways. I don't think that's the practice of giving gifts where we could go wrong. <laughs> I think we might go wrong in the kind of gifts that we give on Christmas. See, I, I think giving gifts is a great thing, but I don't think we're always great at giving gifts. And, you know, research goes to show this. I was pretty blown away by this stat. Um, did you know that according to Business Insider, in America alone, about $90 billion worth of gifts were returned last January. $90 billion. According to the UN, that's enough money to end world hunger for three years, just in the number of gifts that were returned last January. Or here's another one. Uh, According to Forbes magazine, nearly 5 billion pounds of retail returns end up in landfills each January. Because people return the gifts they didn't like, and retailers can't sell a lot of those gifts, so they just throw them away. Five billion pounds in the landfills each year as a result of bad gift giving each year. Why is this the case? Well, Time Time Magazine, I like how they put it very bluntly. They said, um, the amount of people who didn't like their Christmas gifts appears to have peaked. And then the article goes on to say, Thursday, January 5th is known as National Returns Day. When UPS returns the most packages back to retailers, and according to the company, holiday shoppers are projected to return 1.3 million packages on January 5th and 5.8 million during the first week of this month. See, I think giving presents is a great thing. I just don't think that we're always great at giving presents. I mean, how many of y'all have been in that situation where you're you thinking, you know, I want to buy something for this uncle or this aunt or my wife or my you know, husband or, or whatever, and, and you're thinking, man, as you're buying it, you're having the thought, I have no idea if they're going to like this. Anyone been there before? Like, you're buying it, and you're like, I don't know if they're going to like this thing. And so you, or you just gravitate towards, well, I'm just, I'm just going to get a gift card. Or I'm just going to you know, get this trinket. And, and, and there's very little thought or meaning in it. Guys, maybe, maybe we would do well to actually think a little bit about what kind of presents we give on Christmas. That as a way to celebrate what we're celebrating on Christmas, we would think, okay, what, what kind of present should I give? To help us think a little bit about that this morning, I want us to think about the gift that God gave us on Christmas, and then why he gave that to us on Christmas, and then what it might look like to respond in kind, reflect that gift by giving that same thing to others this Christmas. I think if we did that, our gifts 
and our Christmas celebration might be more worshipful, meaningful, and impactful. So that's where we're going this morning. And so let's begin with that. What, what did God give us on Christmas? What was the present, if you will, that God gave us on Christmas? Well, I'm putting it this way. He gave us his presence. Yeah, see what I did there? I'm, I'm trying to be somewhat clever or memorable, but he gave us his presence. Think about one of the most famous Christmas passages in all scripture, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Also, we'll have it up here on the slides. It might be easier just to follow along that way. Here's what Matthew 1, 18 through 23 says. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet, specifically the prophet Isaiah, which says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Friends, what did, what did God give us on Christmas? He gave us the gift of his presence, of God with us, Emmanuel. See, the greatest miracle of Christmas is not that a, a, a virgin could become pregnant, though that is quite miraculous, but that uh, that's nothing com compared to the miracle of the infinite God being born as an infant, right? Yet that profound truth lies at the very heart of historic Christian faith. The creator of all entered his creation as one of us. Emmanuel, God with us. The Apostle John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends and one of the 12 disciples, at the end of his life when he sat down to write his eyewitness account of his life with Jesus and Jesus' life, who wrote the Gospel of John, he's trying to figure out how to begin it. He, he, he decided to begin it this way. He said it this he said it like this. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Now let me pause there because that word is interesting. See, that word that we translate word is the Greek word logos. And when John pens this, he's actually writing into a hotly debated uh, topic of that day and age for the Greek philosophers often debated what, the, what humankind's log logos was, meaning what was their reason, the logic for their being, the reason for their existence. And so John, when he writes, talk about Jesus is coming, he says, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the logos. Jesus is the reason for our existence. He goes on to say this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word, the reason for our existence was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then in verse 14, he makes this incredible statement. He says, the word, the, the reason for our existence became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son 
who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or the Apostle Paul, when reflecting on this incredible truth of Manuel, God with us, would write it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, speaking about Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. See, friends, the the authors of Scripture were fascinated by this fascinating truth. That God would come to be with us. Emmanuel, God's presence, was the gift that we celebrate on Christmas. Which should lead us to ask, why? (laughs) Right? Like, why would God give us his presence? Why would God come to be with us? I mean, to use Paul's words, why would God make himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness? Well, here's why. It's because God created us to live and to rule, here's the key word, with him. That God created us to live and to rule with him him. Like if you, if you just go all the way to the very beginning of scripture, Genesis chapter 1, what you see is God, the Bible opens with God creating. And the climax of creation is found in Genesis 1, 26 through 30, when God creates mankind, both male and female, in his image, and then he instructs them to rule over the earth and all the creatures in the earth as God's representatives or as his image bearers, to reflect what he is like in physical form by how we rule as he would rule. And then in Genesis 3, we get this this quick peek but of this wild truth that God at times would actually come and walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. That God would actually come to be with them in that way. And so from the very beginning, you see that God created us to be with him. To live and to rule with God. Now, take that and then fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible. Revelation 21, second to last chapter in the Bible, kind of final scene. You know what we're told? Let me read it for you. 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now listen to this, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now listen, the, that means the, the last thing in the Bible is God coming to dwell with us so that we will forever live and rule his creation with him. So then if you just think about this, if you take the, if, if, if you saw the Bible as like a script of a play, then the opening scene and the final act would all be about God creating us to live and rule with him. That's what he's after. 
And then if you were to keep going from the very beginning, you'll see that the rest of the story of the Bible is about how we as mankind decided instead of being with God, we would reject God. That we figured that life would be better without him. And that we would go our own way. And that we wouldn't trust him and we would sin. And that sin would lead to a broken relation with God and a broken creation. And then if you keep going, what you'd also see is that in reaction to our rejection of God, God wouldn't write us off. But instead, he would come after us to the point that he would write himself into the story. And friends, that's what we get to celebrate at Christmas. Christmas is the climax of the story of the Bible. It's God coming to be with us in order to make the way for us to be once again with him. It's amazing. It's incredible. Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a name describing the reality that God was with us in Jesus. It is also a name describing the reason Jesus was with us. God with us to make the way for us to be with God. And how did he make that way? Well, if you go back to Matthew 1, when I was reading earlier, in the very announcement of the angel to Joseph, he says, if you remember, Jesus, he says, is going to come to save his people from their sins. So that we, through faith and Christ's death and resurrection, can be reconciled to God once again and be with him. Or as Peter, one of Jesus' other disciples, would put it in his letter, 1 Peter 3, 18, he says it this way. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. To bring you to God. See, Christmas highlights the ridiculous links that God was willing to go in order to enable us to have a relationship with him. For that is the relationship that we were created for, to be with God and God with us in intimate and consistent communication and communion and fellowship. And so in response to our broken relationship with God and the broken world that resulted from that, God gave us the one gift, the best gift, the only gift that could actually heal all the brokenness. He gave us himself. Emmanuel. God with us. And friends, that's what we're celebrating when we celebrate Christmas. Now, in light of that, both as a way to reflect and be reminded of that truth. Wouldn't it be fitting if we let the gift of God's presence influence the kind of presence we give on Christmas? Like, what if we gave our presence? Now, I know y'all saw that coming from a mile away. I mean, you could have said right from the very beginning, this is what he's going to talk about. But, but think about it. I mean, really, think, think about it, right? Like, what if this Christmas you decided to intentionally give your presence to a few of your loved ones? I mean, what if instead of simply buying that gift card or that trinket or that sweater, you decided to reflect the gift that God gave us, the gift of his presence, by giving your presence as a gift? 
I mean, what would happen? See, I, I heard a story of a college student who, you know, having understood this kind of principle, said, okay, uh, for Christmas, I'm going to buy my dad a pound of coffee. Not very expensive, right? Five bucks. But he gave his dad this pound of coffee and attached to it a note that said, Dad, you're only allowed to drink this coffee with me. And he made a commitment to drive home once a month and to have a cup of coffee or two with his dad. Now, I tell you, guarantee you, that was the dad's favorite present he received that Christmas. No doubt. It's also the most memorable present that he received that Christmas. Friends, let me ask you a question. What if, what if, uh, you know, those who are married, families, and say, what if you said for Christmas you're going to invite a single friend of yours, college student of yours, to come over to your house once a month to have dinner with you? Would that not be an incredible present? Or singles, college students, or others, what if you said for, for Christmas you're going to give a married couple in our church a date night? And you're going to come over to their house and you're going to love their kids. You're going to enjoy being with their kids and making the way for them to go get time together. I guarantee you that would be better than any gift card you could buy any of us. I, you can sign up for that on the connection card. And <laughs> Just kidding. Husbands, what if instead of buying your wife that necklace, unless it's from noonday, um, this Christmas... Um, <laughs> The, uh, uh, you decided, okay, I'm going to give my wife a, a, a date night every, at least every month, and I'm going to plan them out through the spring, and I'm going to schedule them and plan them. Would, wives, would that not be an incredible gift? The gift of presents. Now, now, you need to know your wife. Sometimes they might rather the necklace, okay? So you get asked that question. But for some of them, that's going to be an incredible gift. But, or they'll say, I'll, I'll take both of those if both is on the table. But guys, gifts of presents are meaningful, right? For you to think about this. See, I think that we have bought into the cultural notion that the way that we show that someone matters to us is by buying something for them. But guys, we all know that's not true. How do we know that we matter to God? He didn't buy something for us. He didn't gift us with material things. He gave us himself. Guys, when we choose to give ourselves to others, it's memorable, it's meaningful, it's relational, it's personal. What if we decided to give our presence as a way to reflect and remember that that's what we're celebrating on Christmas, that God has given us his presence, Emmanuel, God, with us. Here's what I think would happen. One, I think it would help you remember the gift that God gave you, which would lead to greater worship. As you choose to give the gift of presence to others, you would be mindful that that's what God gave you. I think it leads to greater worship. Here's the second thing I think will happen. I think it will be way more meaningful for the person who's receiving your presence. We've already talked about that. Here's the third thing. I think it could free up some money that you would have spent enable you to give that money to someone who really needs it. And see, if you were with us last week, you'll remember that one part of this series is that we're asking you to consider spending less this Christmas as a way to reject the rampant consumerism of our culture and instead redirect that money that you would have normally spent on people who already have plenty 
and give that money towards a marginalized or oppressed group or people in our world. Last week, I shared that as a church family, we're taking a special offering on December 23rd, or if you're not going to be here on that Sunday, anytime online through our website that you can give towards, uh, the, towards Dress-Simber, which is a campaign that's aimed at ending slavery, to put an end to modern-day slavery. Which guys, did you know that there are 30 million people in slavery today in the world? The highest number of people enslaved ever in the history of the world right now. Is that not terrible? We have many people in our church that are this whole month advocating for the end of slavery. They're wearing a dress all, all, every day of December or a couple of guys are wearing a tie or as Jason is so well, he's pulling it off so well with the bow tie every, every day in December. And because that's a heart that many people in our church family have, we said, okay, what if we all get behind that? What if we spend less by giving our presents to people we love and then we take that money that we would have spent, even if it's just you know, one, the equivalent of one gift, one $25 gift, and we give that to those who are really in need to help put an end to modern-day slavery. Or, let me just be clear, or to another group. You, we as a church, we're going with the dress simmer thing, but if you as an individual are thinking, man, there's a lot of other causes that I'm really passionate about, you have the freedom to give to that, whether it's foster care or, or, or orphan care or the refugees or anybody, I mean, whatever that is, you run with that. That's great. But if you'd like to go with us, then you can go through dress simmer. And, and we're doing this as one way to worship fully as to celebrate what we're celebrating on Christmas, that Jesus came. To set the captives free. Let's reflect that. So what if we reflect the fact that Jesus came to give us his presence, and so we decide to give our presence, which would also enable us to reflect that Jesus came to set the captives free so that we could give some money to those who really need it. What if we decided to actually celebrate Christmas in light of what we're celebrating at Christmas? Here's what I think will happen. I think Christmas will get a whole lot more worshipful. And I think it'll get a whole lot more meaningful. And I think it'll get a whole lot more impactful. You want to do that with me? Let's do that as a church family. Now, I know that that goes a little bit against... Normal Christian traditions. That's why this series is called Advent Conspiracy. It's different. It's meant to be a little bit subversive. It goes against kind of the normal flow of things. But it's a, isn't it just a more fitting way to celebrate what we're celebrating? And I want to be clear as I wrap up here. I'm not trying to say that you should do this for everyone this Christmas, okay? Like you can't buy anyone a present. And then let me just be really clear. We operate with grace. If you decide to buy everybody a present, we're not going to judge you for that. Especially if you buy me one. I'm not going to judge you for that, okay? But here's the thing I want to put through for, uh, forward for you. Just consider this. What if even if it's just one person you're going to choose this Christmas, instead of giving a present to, you're going to give your presents to? Or what if you have one person that you know is going to buy you a present and you tell them, Here, what, here's what I really want. I want your presence. And whatever money you were going to spend on me, why don't you give it towards someone who really needs it? 
What if you did that this year? May I tell you, it could have a profound impact. Let's decide to give our presence as a way to remember and reflect the gift that God gave us on Christmas. Help us take a step in that direction. We're going to end by taking communion. And when we take communion, which we do each Sunday here at Midtown, we are remembering that when Jesus came, he came not just to live the life that we were supposed to live, the life that perfectly represents what God is like, but he also came knowing full well that he was coming to die the death that we deserve to die. And then Jesus came to be with us in order to make the way for us to be with God. That Jesus came to suffer the righteous for us, the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And so when Jesus was born, he knew he was born to die. And he did. And on the cross, his body was broken and his blood was spilled. And that's what we remember when we take communion. Now, we also know that Jesus did not stay dead. He rose from the dead and, and made the way for us to truly know with confidence that we can be reconciled to God and be united with him forever. And so as we take this, may we remember the incredible links that God went through to make the way for us to be with him. And Lord, may, may it cause us to rejoice and may it cause us to want to be with him. See, one other thing that we can do in giving our presence in light of God giving us his presence is this time of Christmas, we can respond by choosing to give God the gift of our presence as well. And we would make time to spend time with God during Christmas, hopefully beyond, but definitely during this season. As we remember what he did for us, let's, let's spend time praying and talking to him. Let's spend time meditating on his word. Guys, as we take communion, we do this to help us remember what God has done for us and make the way for us to be with him. May it compel us to want to be with him. And may it lead us to reflect that by giving our presence to others as well and meeting the needs of those who need it. Let me pray. And you can come up here and take communion, uh, front tables or in the back tables. We ask that, uh, you know, we just, as Midtown Church, we practice open communion. Anyone is, uh, you don't have to be a partner here to take communion. We just ask that you actually believe that what you're taking is, is true, that Jesus truly died and rose again for you. And if you're not sure about that, then this is also the time in our service that we intentionally put here for you to consider that, for you to be able to pray and talk to God and say, God, is this true? Do you really love me this much? Do you, I really matter this much that you would give me your presence and make the way for me to be with you? Perhaps even today, you would place your faith and the good news that Jesus came to die for you, to make the way for you to be with God forever. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for loving the world so much that you gave your Son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you for coming, Jesus, as our Emmanuel, God with us, to make the way for us to be with you. God, I pray that this Christmas you would help us Remember that and reflect that, that we would worship you more fully by choosing to give our presence to others as you gave yours to us. And God, I pray that uh, you'd be honored in that. You'd be worshiped in that. So God, we, we thank you so much for what we're remembering when we take communion, that Jesus truly came 
and died for us that we could be reconciled to you. Or help us respond with worship, both as we take communion and as we respond in song. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.